Today's quote comes from the Scottish poet John Burnside. Anyone who has ever stopped to watch a hawk in flight will know that this is one of the natural world's most elegant phenomena. Hey y'all, I'm Paul Sievers, interpreter with Great Parks of Hamilton County, and you are listening to Take It Outdoors, a Great Parks of Hamilton County podcast. This is a show where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. On this episode, episode nine, we will be talking all about raptors. Not the Jurassic Park hunt you down in packs raptors, but instead they're potentially evolutionary descendants of birds of prey. We're talking about eagles and hawks and owls. Basically what puts them together is that they hunt and eat live prey. Sometimes they might swallow it whole, sometimes they might tear it apart with their beaks. Either way, these are very important species that help keep a balance in our ecosystem. And to talk more about that balance and more of the ins and outs of these raptors, we are joined today by Stephanie Morris. She is a central region interpreter. So Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us on Take It Outdoors. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. All right. So we'll start out with how many species of raptors are there in Hamilton County? So there's a lot, um, and that can be very variable. If you're talking about things that you're going to see every day, we've got things like red-tailed hawks, we've got red-shouldered hawks, there's Cooper's hawks, there's four species of owls we're going to find year-round. Um, so there's, there's a lot that are here all the time, but then during migration we'll get a lot of others coming through as well. Um, one of the ones we're seeing more of year-round would be the, the bald eagles making a comeback too. Now let's say I live in the suburbs surrounded by a lot of houses, you know, a lot of neighborhoods. Are some of these birds more commonly seen than I might find just in my backyard? Absolutely. So if you're seeing a hawk in your yard, it, it might be a Cooper's hawk. That's what we see in our neighborhood all the time. Um, I live in a little 1950s post-war community, and it's pretty, pretty tight, and they don't need a whole lot of space to survive. You might also see some red-shouldered hawks hanging around. Driving down the expressway between communities to and from work, you're definitely going to see some red-tailed hawks. You might find some turkey vultures and black vultures soaring up in the sky. So, so those are the ones you're probably most likely to come in contact with. Are there any owls that we might find in the suburbs, or pretty much those just kind of stick to the deeper woods? No, you know, I see barred owls flying through a lot. They like to follow the creek beds, things like that. So if you've got Creeks coming through, they might follow that route. So they're pretty common. I know at Farbach Warner, we see them and hear them quite often. Um, that's a pretty urban park, actually. Where I live, too, we have great horned owls, and they that's a pretty developed area. So they need their space, but definitely they'll, they'll be in the suburbs and the more suburban areas. I understand that birds of prey are highly protected by not just state laws, but also federal law. So I'm assuming there's good reasoning behind these protections. Can you talk a little bit about those protections and maybe why we have deemed raptors so important to deserve those protections? Absolutely. So in the past, these amazing birds have gotten a really bad reputation. They've come to farms and sometimes, you know, like a chicken is a nice happy meal. So farmers, farmers kind of didn't like them. But these birds are really important to our ecosystems. They are kind of the predators at the top that control the populations of some of these what could be considered pests. Um, so if you are a farmer and you're mad at that hawk for taking your chicken, you should 
probably be pretty happy with it for taking some of those mice that might be eating your corn. In the grand scheme of things, if we didn't have these top predators, we would have a massive imbalance in the ecosystem. So protecting them is really important. There are state and federal regulations protecting these birds, so much so that it's actually illegal to even have a feather without permits from some of the species. If I found a red-tailed hawk feather in my backyard, you're saying that I'm not legally allowed to pick it up and take it inside? Correct. I mean, they you can't prove how you got that feather. Um, so there's no way of knowing if you followed the laws or if you didn't. So there's kind of just that blanket statement out there. I've heard in the past some people will talk about that they've seen um, these birds of prey just killing for fun, that they'll find just dead animals in their backyard, like they, a hawk or something came in and just killed a bunch of mice and then just left them there. Do these animals kill for fun like that, or is something else probably going on? No wild animal is going to want to waste the energy on killing for fun. I mean, that's a lot of work that goes into that. And they need to preserve their energy, especially if they're staying here throughout the winter. If they're killing, they're, they're killing for food. Um, some birds have been known to kind of stash their prey so that they can eat it later on when food may be less plentiful. But they're not, they're not going to waste that energy on killing for fun. Now, you mentioned bald eagles, and you've mentioned them kind of in a comeback. I still feel like a lot of people don't necessarily believe that there's eagles around commonly. So what's your experience with seeing them? And do you know of any, maybe some good places? Now, I know we kind of talked about this in one of our earlier episodes. We talked about eagles and oxbows, but I kind of like to hammer that point that, hey, there's bald eagles here. So would do, do you mind kind of... Uh, talking about bald eagles? Absolutely. So I'll never forget the first time I saw a bald eagle. Um, I was in the passenger of one of the vans and another naturalist was driving at the time and driving across a bridge going to Shawnee Lookout and she slams on the brakes and jumps out of the van and she's like, there's an eagle over there. And it was an amazing experience and it was something that wasn't very common at the time. Every time I've crossed that bridge since, I would say 90% of the time I've seen them in that spot. So these guys are going to be at a lot of our parks. We've seen them at Winton Woods. We've seen them at Miami Whitewater Forest. We've seen them at Woodland Mound. I would imagine they're near Arm Leader. So any of the parks that have water really is a good habitat for those guys. If you're out there and you're looking, I think a key is that people sometimes see these birds, the eagles, and don't realize what they're seeing because the juveniles don't have that white head and tail yet. Um, that they're just these large, massive brown birds with a big old beak. At a lot of Great Parks programs, we have birds of prey on display. Can you talk about that and how, if these are such protected birds, why are we allowed to have them? So at Great Parks, we have the permits to house these um, non-releasable birds for educational use. So these are birds that if they were in the wild, they wouldn't survive. Maybe their vision is compromised or their flight is compromised. There's just no way that they would be able to hunt. I mean, I've been told by some of the rehab groups that, that they send them to mouse school with the hopes of releasing them. And when these birds are unable to catch mice at mouse school, that's when they get placed with organizations like us who have these permits and take them out on programs. These guys serve as a great ambassador. So while maybe it's a tragedy that they're not in the wild, 
it is a really great opportunity for people to come up, get close enough to interact with them, really understand these birds in a very different way. So essentially you're making the best of a bad situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they become coworkers and ambassadors for their species. They're, they're amazing. What birds of prey does Great Parks currently have? So at Farbach Warner Nature Preserve, we house a red-tailed hawk. We have two screech owls, a barred owl, a great horned owl who has been with us since 1991, and a black vulture. Sharon Woods in Woodland Mound also has a screech owl, um, and Sharon Woods has a red-tailed hawk as well. What kind of work is involved in taking care of these animals? I mean, these are animals that typically hunt for themselves. They're eating live prey. So what do you have to do to ensure that these birds stay healthy? There is a lot that goes into housing these birds and keeping them healthy um, and ready to go to programs at any moment. When they first come to us, they're wild. They only human contact they've had is likely with the rehabbers who every time they handled them, it was for some kind of a medical situation. So they don't know that we're not trying to hurt them. They don't understand what's happening. It takes a long time to get these birds to learn that being on the glove is a safe place and that we're going to come in and feed them and give them all these things that, that they see as a good thing. A lot of training goes into working with those birds when they first come in. After that, we have to keep that up. If we stop using a bird for a few weeks, that bird often forgets proper behavior on the glove. And so we have to go back and start from scratch sometimes. As far as their health, there's a lot, a lot of work there. We have to watch their talons and their beaks and make sure they're not overgrowing. In the wild, we don't worry about that. They're eating different things. They're on all these different textures and they're just not growing in that way. So we do trim beaks and talons if needed. We monitor what they're eating so that we know they're getting enough nutrition and vary their diet so that they're getting enough nutrition. It's just like us. If we only eat pizza, we're not going to be healthy. If we only feed our hawk rats, she's not going to be healthy. I do my best to stay healthy while eating only pizza, though. Or donuts. Or Yeah, <laughs> or donuts. You say that Great Parks has state and federal permits to keep them. Is that something that anybody can get? I mean, as a private citizen, can you go and apply for a permit to keep a bird of prey? So there's falconry programs, and I don't know all the ins and outs of all of that. Um, I do know it is a massive amount of training and commitment, and that's for hunting with birds of prey. As far as housing them for education with these non-releasable birds, you have to, to be using them in education. They have to be so many programs per year. They have to meet so many people. You have to go through a lot of, of effort to get those, and that's not something a private citizen is going to get. Of the birds that you mentioned Great Parks has, do you have a favorite one that you like to work with? I do. I feel like I probably shouldn't, but I absolutely do. The great horned owl is the first um, bird of prey that I ever handled, and I just remember the first time that he was on the glove. Um, the first time I used him in program was at the Hamilton County Fair, and I there's a picture sitting on my grandma's mantle of me and him, and it's pretty cool, and he's really an amazing bird. He's big, and he's majestic, and he's beautiful, even in his old age, <laughs> when he's not quite taking care of himself like he used to. <laughs> 
How about you? Do you have a favorite? I do have a favorite. My favorite would probably, and I kind of like you, it's I, they're like a coworker, so I'd kind of feel bad picking one. Um, but my favorite is probably the Black Vulture, Curly. Um, he's amazing. <laughs> he is, and he's a nut. He's a lot of fun to work with. Um, but I'm probably, I, I do have a story with the Great Horned Owl as well. So that was one of the first birds that I ever worked with. Um, one of the naturalists who has since retired basically kind of believe in, you know, training by fire, just jump on in. <laughs> and so it was the first time I'd ever worked with him. And she was like, pick him up. So I had the glove on, I grabbed his jesses, and I did not have the jesses tight enough. And the jesses are what kind of go around the feet that we can then clip into with the lead so that they try to fly away. Um, they, you know, we, we can still control that situation. Um, well, he took off. I did not have the jesses tight enough. And I basically ended up with six little tiny holes in my scalp. Um, thankfully he didn't land cause they are extremely powerful birds. Um, but he kind of gave me a warning and taught me a quick lesson of, Hey, you better be in control of the situation or I will take control quickly. Um, so yeah, I got to know the great horned, <laughs> um, yeah, very intimately, very quickly. So is there somewhere that the public can just go to see these on display or does it have to be for special programs? Most of these birds are not on public display. They work really hard. They do a lot. So when they're in their enclosures, that's their off time. Um, so we want to give them some privacy. You can keep your eye out on the website at greatparks.org. You can look in our event guide. You could call the centers and see what programs they have going on, where these birds would be featured. They're used so often throughout the year. Um, they're often taken to schools and senior centers, adult programs, if you want to schedule a program, you can call one of the centers and, and do that as well, and they can, they can come to you or you can come to them. So bottom line, there's no public display, but there's plenty of opportunities to see these in person. Absolutely. There's a lot of opportunity. Today I am at Auto Arm Leader Park. It is a great park, but it's one that we uh, work in tandem with the Cincinnati Parks and also the Cincinnati Recreation Commission. It's a 238-acre park. There's a lot going on here. There are trails that connects with the Lunkin Trail. The park is right next to Lunkin. There's prairie, there's meadow, there's some woods. Uh, the park is right next to the Little Miami River. There's access to the river from the park. There's also a dog park here. There's soccer fields. It's a crisp breezy Saturday morning. You can probably hear a lot of people behind me. There's literally hundreds of people here for soccer games. There's a lot of people on the trails. There's a lot of dogs and people at the dog park. So this is a very popular park and there's a place that a lot is happening. So you might ask the question, why in the world would I want to go there to observe nature? Why would I want to go there to see these raptors, these birds of prey in nature? Well, even though there's a lot going on here, there's a lot of nature going on here at the same time. And it's right next to Little Miami River. There's a lot of different habitats here. So there's a lot of nature that calls this park home. In the spring, this is a wonderful place for warbler migration. In the fall, it's another place for warbler migration if you're brave enough to attempt warbler identification in the fall. Because it's right next to the river, it will sometimes have areas that flood and you get a lot of waterfowl migration. There are with the prairies a lot of raptors, with the river you get bald eagles, plenty of deer, 
all types of nature are here at this park. And it's a great place that you can come. It's not far off the beaten path. It's easy to get to, it's accessible. There's paved trails all the way around. Sometimes we often think that, oh, to see the good nature, we have to travel far distances to get out away from the city, to get out away from people. And that's just not true. Nature is everywhere. Nature is anywhere and everywhere you can go, nature can go there as well. So that's why we chose Arm Leader today. And I am here with uh, Jordan West. He's a local photographer, amazing, absolute amazing photography. You can check him out at his website, jordanwestphotography.com, or also on Instagram, at JTW86. So we're gonna talk with him today and find out how is he observing this nature? What's his method? First off, what got you interested in photographing wildlife or just nature in general? I would say for me, I've always had an interest in the outdoors, even as a little kid, collecting the wildlife fact file. That was very common during my time growing up. I've just always had an interest in animals. A few years ago, I was working at another job and the break area was actually all trails and a pond. And I would go out there every single day, walk the pond, walk the trail, and I would notice a number of things. A raccoon in a tree cavity, a kingfisher at the pond every single day, black rat snakes, a variety of local wildlife. That kind of re-sparked the interest in me. I got a point-and-shoot camera, started taking that with me every day on break. My breaks probably became a little longer than they should have been, but that was essentially it. And then ever since then, I haven't stopped. The only thing that's changed is what I shoot with and how much more time I put into it. So the nature came first and the photography yes. was secondary to yep. that. Yeah. Do you have a favorite spot in the county? It really depends what I'm going for. If I'm just going for a walk in nature, I can go anywhere. I just like to be outdoors. If I'm going for something specific, like an example would be if I'm going to shoot shorebirds, I like to go to East Fork. If I am going to shoot barred owls, I like to go to Burnett Woods just because I'm familiar with that pair and I've spent a lot of time in that park. So I know where to find them. I know their seasonal routines. I know where they will be during what time of year. If I'm going to shoot herons, I think Winton Woods is a great place to shoot herons. Obviously the rookery there is there, but they also have um, a good amount of green herons, black crown night herons. I like to kayak there and just kind of get out and photograph everything. It's also a good place for osprey, which if you're unfamiliar with is a diving raptor. For the listeners, I'd like to point out that Burnett Woods is a Cincinnati park and it's Correct. in Clifton, basically across the street from University of Cincinnati and the fact that that's a good place to go for barred owls says something about the just the presence of nature pretty much anywhere exactly rapid run park was known for its great horned owls that return every year wildlife can really be found anywhere you just have to put the time in to look for it cincinnati is really covered in preserves and parks and ton of wildlife to be found we already kind of talked that you know nature came first photography kind of came second so what, you know, beyond the just the just wonderful photographs that you're taking, what do you get personally from being outside and observing wildlife? 
Probably a number of things. I feel being outdoors is just relaxing, you know. I work a full-time job just as many other people do, so it's kind of like my, my getaway. It helps me decompress. Um, other than that, I learn a lot by watching the subjects that I shoot. It gives me time to practice my photography. I don't know, I just like to increase my knowledge, increase skills, get away from all the daily routine, basically. With photography then being kind of secondary to your purpose of being outside, why is it that, I mean, clearly you can still enjoy what nature mm-hmm. without taking the photograph. So is there a purpose to your photography? I like to show people what all is out there. When I first started, I've had so many friends that were surprised at how many owls I've seen or how many hawks. Through my photography, I feel like I've always had a special interest in raptors. I don't know. I just, that's really it. I like to show people what all is out there. I feel like if there's an interest, it just gets people to care. It's easy not to care if you don't know what is out there. Promote conservation. It's just a number of things. Not too long ago, you posted a picture of a bald eagle, and I just I want to read to the listeners what you wrote under that. I look forward to time spent alone in the cold, layered up with frozen feet and fingertips, observing and photographing my favorite subjects. There's something about going out in the dead of winter with no one else around besides you and your own subjects. You learn more, you see their true behavior with no distractions, you can see how they truly connect with one another and their surroundings. Well, going back to that caption, I would just say that one obvious reason, raptors especially are easier to observe in the winter. There's no leaves on the trees. But going deeper than that, it's the fact that I've probably witnessed some of the most amazing things in nature when I've been alone and when it's been extremely cold and no one is out. I find much more wildlife when there's less people on the trails. I always tell people I think it's worth it to go out in winter. You'll definitely see something. One thing that stood out to me that is memorable is I was watching some waterfowl on a frozen pond and the whole pond was frozen except for a tiny circle. And all of a sudden, a mink came out and walked across the pond and started ice fishing, going in and out of the hole and just bringing up small fish, eating it and going back in. And I don't know, that's one example of something I've seen in winter that really stood out to me and just so many different things. I've watched barred owls hunt in winter. I've watched eagles hunt in winter and sit eye level eating a fish right in front of me. I just have better experiences in the winter without a lot of people around and when it's just you and the subject you see their hunting strategies you see how they like I mentioned you see how they interact with one another I think it's always worth it to go out in the middle of winter Um, on another level I just feel I don't know I, I essentially feel more alive because you're feeling things yeah in summer you might be hot but in winter when I hike three miles 
and I'm searching for subjects and I can't feel my feet and you have ice frozen to your face or whatever it may be. It's just, I don't know, it makes you, I feel like it makes you feel more into nature yourself and you're feeling the elements. You're really becoming one with your surroundings and I, I just love that. I, I welcome that feeling. A lot of us naturalists talk about the moments that kind of help shape us. And, mm-hmm. and so one day that I, I was hiking by myself and I came across a fox den. Mm-hmm. And there are, I mean, probably you know, six or seven kits that yep. they had a, a entrance to their den on either side of the trail. And they kept coming up to the trail and looking at me. And I was within 10 feet of them. They'd look at me, you know, and they'd kind of run back down to their side. And I mean, I sat there for an hour oh, and yeah. just watched these and and it's yeah you you definitely feel kind of this idea of this is where i'm supposed to be this is this is that connection that um a lot of times we we want to take ourselves out of nature we feel that we're separated from it but in the end we're still very much a part of it Mm -hmm. and clearly when you're outside observing other species doing what they do that's i totally get what you're saying that's when you feel that this is i'm still a part of this Clearly then in, in all that you're saying, it's, it's obvious that it's not just about observing. It's not just about what you get from it. It's not just about the photographs that you take, but it's also about understanding what these animals are doing, the interactions that they are having with the rest of nature. Right. Why is that something that's important to you? Do you think it's important for others to understand those interactions as well? Well, I think the two tie in together because that is part of the reason that I like to learn as much as possible is because through my photography, I do always try to give some kind of factual information. So I like to, one, show people what all is out there, and two, I like to try to give some kind of educational information about the subject as well. I I really like to just learn as much as possible about the specific animal. I observe a lot of red tails. Um, obviously, they're probably our most frequently seen hawk, perched along highways, utility poles. But I mean, they're found a number of places. It's. I just think it's important to understand the nature of a specific animal. Another example with the red tail is there's a lot of misinformation. Um, I've heard people concerned oh there's a red tail in my backyard he's there to pick off my dog or he's there to get my cat they're probably not going to go after your your pets i just think it's important to understand the truths about nature instead of maybe i don't know what you would call it a fear or a misunderstanding of nature it's easy to misunderstand raptors especially it's better to understand how they benefit the ecosystem, you know, keeping pest populations down, red tails specifically, owls specifically. If I understand why a red tail would be perched in the middle of a field looking for a rabbit, I'm going to know where to find that red tail next time. If I understand what the barred owl sitting deep in the woods next to the stream likes to prey upon, then I'm going to have an easier time finding a barred owl when I go somewhere else. So we've talked a lot about kind of your philosophy and your your thought process on this. I kind of want to get a little bit more into just the 
I guess the, the physical or the action of observing wildlife. So you've talked about the more you observe them, the more you understand, and therefore the easier it becomes to find them because mm-hmm. you have a better idea of what they're looking for. So then you know what to look for. But do you have a process like a, you know, okay, just do these five steps and I can guarantee you you'll see anything? Or is it just you can learn as much as you can, but ultimately it just comes down to... Come down to patience. One example most recently was I've been trying, this might sound weird, but I've been trying to get a photo of a red tail at Spring Grove Cemetery that I've been observing on top of a very tall monument or grave gravestone. I've always thought it looked like the perfect perch. And two days ago, I finally saw one land there. I was about to the point of just giving up. I had turned my camera off, essentially blew the photos. I wasn't ready, I wasn't set up, and then the hawk took off. Next day, I went back. It was actually a different red tail because the second day it was an adult, the first day it was a juvenile. and. I was more prepared and I got the photo. There's numerous times where I've gone back to a certain location to get a photo time after time after time or like that photo. I probably wanted that photo for nearly a year or, you know, but it's just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Um, A lot of people always ask me how to find owls or how to find specifically barred owls. A lot of people always ask me about barred owls. Just walk slow. Walk slow, take in your surroundings, maybe read a little bit about, you know, the subject that you want to find, the habitat that they prefer. Um, When you do find them, study their behavior. Pay attention to where you have found them chances are you'll find them in that same area or a similar area again. Um, it also really depends, I guess, what I'm going out to shoot. Like if I'm going out to find warblers, which this whole interview I've been kind of staring at the, the sides here. I'm seeing yellow rumped warblers move around. I have absolutely no strategy for stuff like that, you know. <laughs> You go out, keep your fingers crossed, and hope to find what you may want to find. Maybe the day of, it's just patience and, and good luck, but it seems that there's still a lot of prep work you can do, though. Learning as much as you can before you even go out in the first right. place. Right. Yeah, that would be one of my main points is, yes, exactly that. Learning as much as you can about a subject before you maybe go after it. Kingfisher. Man, I've never heard one call for that long. All the way down the river. Yeah. I know we mentioned that we're, we're recording this at Auto Arm Leader. And uh, I go to many parks to photograph a specific raptor. Like I mentioned, Burnett, I might go for barred owls. Wynwoods, Osprey, East Fork Lake, Osprey, Bald Eagles, Fernald, Northern Harriers, or Greyhorned Owls. It just... It depends, but I was thinking about it. I was talking to my girlfriend, and I was going through the species of raptor that I have seen at Auto Arm Leader, and it is actually the park that I've seen the most local species of raptor in anywhere in Ohio. Uh, You may not think it. Obviously, there's tons of soccer games going on as we record this, but I have seen red tail, red shoulder, coopers, sharp shin, 
barred owl, gray horned owl, bald eagles, osprey, both species of vulture, um, northern harrier, American kestrel, peregrine falcon, actually right here behind us, broadwing hawk. I know a couple guys that have had rough leg hawks here in the winter. I've never been able to see them, but, and the short-eared owls, obviously, which return every winter and will hunt over the fields. I think that's like a truly spectacular feat to see, you obviously know. Yeah, so yeah, for the listeners, if you're interested in the short-eareds, it's kind of once they're here, it's actually, in my opinion, one of the easier ones to observe. And it's kind of that prep work. I, you know, people ask me about them. I always recommend, you know, once you know they're here, which they'll, I mean, definitely, you know, by mid-December, they're typically here. Um, I'd say come about a half hour before sunset. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, um, stand at the main shelter, face towards the river, and just keep your eyes on the skies. And eventually they'll come up. They'll, you know, in my experiences, they've soared around the prairie a couple times, did a couple loops, and then headed towards Lunkin. Um, where they'd you know spend the next couple hours or so I guess hunting and then eventually they'd return but um, by the time they return the, the park's closed of course but it's a great opportunity to catch them at dusk and that's something you're only going to see here for a couple months in the winter time so yeah. it's, it's it's examples like that that keep me looking forward to season after season after season and seeing how things change and I don't know, I think the short-eared owls are a perfect example of that. Like, it gives you something to look forward to, you know? Nature changes with the seasons. And, you know, spring brings warblers, fall brings warblers again. Uh, winter brings a huge amount of raptor activity. I normally see a huge increase in raptor activity in November, all the way through winter. It's just amazing to see the same species returning year after year, season after season. How they do it is just amazing. I don't know, that's one of the main things that keeps me interested. Folks, that is our show for today. I hope you've learned a little bit about raptors, these birds of prey, these hawks, eagles, and owls, and I hope that you have learned a little bit about how to get outside and see them in person. Any of our great parks, I can guarantee you, you'll find some raptors. Different species will be at different parks, but there's a lot of good stuff out there. So head out, check out different parks, and kind of uh, you know let us know what you see. I would like to give a big thanks to Stephanie Morris for joining us today. Um, also like to give a big thank you to Jordan West for joining me at Arm Leader and giving uh, some of his insights. You can check him out at jordanwestphotography.com. You can also check him out on Instagram at JTW86. For more information on any of our great parks or for programs where you can see some of these raptors live in person up close, check out our website, greatparks.org. And of course, thank you, listener, for joining us today on Take It Outdoors a podcast where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. Check us out next month for our next episode. And until then, I'm Paul Seavers. Get outside, enjoy nature.